Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join us today for the Week in Review, where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up from the Mortgage Mag on the 9th of October, will repealing the triple CFA be enough? Second topic from interest.co.nz on the 11th of October, the number of new homes being built in Auckland may be starting to decline just as immigration ramps up. Third topic from the New Zealand Herald on the 10th of October, cost of living, the urge to splurge just got a purge, Kiwi Bank data shows. Fourth topic from interest.co.nz on the 10th of October, non-bank lenders launch responsible debt collection code, including guidance on when and how often they'll contact debtors. And fifth topic from One News on the 10th of October, first home buyers fueling the housing market recovery, QV. So first up this week from the Mortgage Mag on the 9th of October, will repealing the triple CFA be enough? Borrowers are managing well despite mortgages shifting from lower to higher interest rates, according to Centrix's August data. The number of delinquent home loans decreased for the third consecutive month. Presently, there are 18,600 overdue mortgages, a 28% increase compared to August last year. The Buy Now Pay Later, or BNPL, industry's arrears rate stands at 9.4%, which is the lowest since February. In October of last year, the Cabinet decided to include the Buy Now Pay Later sector under the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, or the Triple CFA. Following consultations, Commerce Minister Duncan Webb clarified that Buy Now Pay Later loans are exempted from affordability and suitability assessment under the triple CFA due to their short-term, low-value, interest-free nature. Instead, buy-now-pay-later lenders are required to implement comprehensive credit reporting when, when customers sign up or request higher credit limits. Detailed regulations are forthcoming and a grace period is given to buy-now-pay-later lenders for implementation. Some in the mortgage industry, such as Campbell Hasty, the owner of Hasty Mortgages, view this exemption as problematic, especially when individuals hold multiple buy now, pay later accounts. They argue that this exemption is a setback. On the other hand, loan market mortgage broker Bruce Patton believes that lending, especially for mortgages, has become more straightforward due to common sense applications. However, affordability remains open to interpretation. Other mortgage advisors report an increasing number of clients seeking advice on switching to interest-only home loans or changing providers to access lower interest rates. This often requires new loan applications to ensure affordability. Passion is urging the national government to follow through on its promise to re repeal the triple CFA and revisit the original intention. National Commerce spokesman Andrew Bailey is focused on repealing the 2020 and subsequent amendment regulations, creating new regulations to prevent high-cost lenders from exploiting vulnerable New Zealanders. However, he acknowledges that some of the stringent lending practices introduced over the past three years are now ingrained in bank processes. Financial Advice New Zealand CEO Katrina Shanks emphasises that under the Act, directors and senior managers of creditors must exercise due diligence and personal liability consequences for non-compliance includes fines of up to $200,000 and or court-ordered damages. 
directors and senior managers cannot be indemnified against pecuniary penalties. Shanks suggests that a return to easier credit levels won't occur until the liability provisions are relaxed, which is a task for the new government. Despite initial concerns, there has been a recent easing in lending practices, with lenders interpreting the amended triple CFA in a way that allows for smoother business operations. This has led to more rigorous affordability assessments. However, some experts note that the end result is not significantly different from past practices. Go Mortgage's broker, Tony Ridley, points out that the triple CFA has become less prominent as other, as other market factors exert greater pressure on mortgage accessibility. Nowadays, banks are less likely to revisit applications if they cover all the relevant details. According to the Reserve Bank's most recent credit condition survey, demand for residential mortgages decreased in the six months leading to March 2023. Major headwinds cited include higher mortgage rates, increased living costs and rising building expenses. Banks anticipate subdued mortgage demand in the following six months, with regulatory changes playing a role in credit availability. Second topic, from interest.co.nz on the 11th of October, the number of new homes being built in Auckland may be starting to decline just as immigration ramps up. The construction of new homes in Auckland might be on the decline, according to the Auckland Council. The monthly issuance of Code Compliance Certificates, or CCCs, for new dwellings reached a peak at 1,742 in June this year, but dropped to 1,557 in July and 1,497 in August. This slowdown in residential construction aligns with a decrease in the issuance of new residential building consents in the region. CCCs are issued upon the completion of a building, while building consents are typically granted before construction begins. CCCs provide a better measure of the actual supply of new homes, while consents indicate future supply. On average, it takes about two years from the issuance of a residential building consent to the receipt of the CCC. Statistics reveal that the monthly issuance of new dwelling consents in Auckland reached a high of 2,313 in March last year, but had fallen to 1,142 in August this year. However, it is important to note that monthly CCC issuance figures can fluctuate. A large apartment development completed in a single month could boost the numbers, so it may be the end of this year before a definitive downward trend in new dwelling completions become evident. This potential decline in new home completions coincides with an expected increase in immigration, likely leading to a significant rise in Auckland's population, and this could result in increased demand for housing and potential rent increases. If high migration-driven population growth combines with a substantial decrease in new home completions, it might lead to a return of the housing shortages that were a problem in Auckland's housing market before the COVID-19 pandemic. If you'd like to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing. I'll discuss strategies for successful investing from my perspective as a financial advisor, available live online or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. We don't sell property. So it's all about increasing your knowledge to reduce your risk. 
If you've already been to one of our free events and would like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website. Third topic for this week in review from the New Zealand Herald on the 10th of October, cost of living. The urge to splurge just got a purge, Kiwi Bank data shows. In the September quarter, the New Zealand economy saw some notable shifts. Electronic card spending at Kiwi Bank increased by just 1.2%, which is a decrease from the 4% growth observed in the April to June quarter. Nevertheless, overall spending remained above pre-COVID levels, thanks in part to low unemployment supporting household incomes. The Kiwi Bank household spending tracker revealed that consumer prices were still rising rapidly, causing concern. The increase in customers at Kiwi Bank and a preference for contactless payments contributed to these spending levels, even though card transactions decreased compared to the previous quarter. Over the past year, the number of transactions grew by a mere 0.5%. This phenomenon of increased spending but less frequent card use is seen as a consequence of the cost of living crisis, squeezing household incomes and reducing the appetite for discretionary spending. In the coming week, more detailed information on nationwide inflation will be released. The retail sector is experiencing a sense of gloom, but the influx of new migrants could provide a lifeline to these businesses. Changes in the mortgage landscape are also expected to impact spending, as a significant portion of mortgages are anticipated to transition to higher interest rates. Annual growth in Kiwi Bank card spending dropped from 10% to just 2.3% during the September quarter. Spending on home contents and furnishings has remained lacklustre since September 22, falling below pre-COVID levels. This is in contrast to the surge in demand for items like pools and pizza ovens observed in 2020, which, to be fair, those are long-term expenses. <laughs> you don't replace a pool or a pizza oven every year, do you? Domestic tourism, which experienced a surge, appears to be stabilising, with spending on hotels and accommodation steep seeing steady increases, likely due to price hikes and key tourist activities. However, the return of overseas visitors is contributing to overall demand. While demand for high-value retail items is waning, the appetite for small indulgences like coffee and brunch remains strong. Kiwi Bank noted that spending on brunches and coffees is inelastic, meaning it's less sensitive to price changes compared to other goods. One standout economic trend is the impact of movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer, which led to a 57% increase in spending during the first week of their double feature release pulling people back to the cinemas. Despite economic challenges, there is some optimism for the upcoming summer season, which typically sees increased spending, probably due to Christmas, which could potentially improve the economic outlook, but potentially not great for inflation. Fourth topic from interest.co.nz, 10th of October, non-bank lenders launched the Responsible Debt Collection Code, including guidance on when and how often they'll contact debtors. The Financial Services Federation, or FSF, representing non-bank lenders such as finance companies, credit unions, building societies and fintechs, is introducing a responsible debt collection code to formalise members' commitment to ethical debt collection practices that go beyond legal requirements. 
FSF with over 92 members and affiliate members serving more than 1.5 million New Zealanders underlines its authority by suggesting that members not adhering to the code may face disciplinary measures, including potential revocation of the FSF membership. It states that approximately 48% of personal lending in New Zealand is provided by the non-bank sector, which FSF represents. The code governs how debt collectors interact with debtors when attempting to recover credit contract-related debts. Compliance with relevant laws, including the credit contracts and rules around face-to-face contact, will be observed. FSF's Executive Director Lynn McMorran explains that the code was developed by members to ensure responsible treatment of consumers and to address concerns about unsafe debt collection practices affecting clients of financial mentors. Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister Duncan Webb emphasises the importance of preventing unconscionable and misleading practices by debt collectors, especially for debtors in vulnerable situations. The code notes that if a debtor is dissatisfied with how a complaint to a debt collection agency or lender is handled or resolved, they can turn, in, they can turn to a dispute resolution service, such as the Banking Ombudsman Scheme, the Insurance and Financial Services Ombudsman Scheme, Financial Services Complaints Limited, and Financial Dispute Resolution Service, if the debt collector or lender is affiliated with one of these services. The code will be accessible on FSF members' websites and distributed through FinCap Financial Mentor Networks. Fifth topic for this week in review from One News on the 10th of October, first home buyers fueling the housing market recovery from QV. The housing market has recently seen a renewed increase in value driven in large part by first home buyers. The latest QV house price index covering the three months ending in September showed a modest 0.9% average home value rise compared to the preceding three months ending in August. While the market could be described as relatively flat at present, signs of a revival are becoming evident. James Wilson, the operations manager at Quotable Value, or QV, commented on the, on the situation, noting that a recovery is underway, primarily due to the activity of first-time home buyers. He stated they remain the most active group by far, but we're also now starting to see it expand beyond just entry-level locations for the first time. Nationally, the average house value stands at $899,256, with positive growth seen in most major centres. Leading the list are Invercargill, Auckland, Wellington and Queenstown. New Plymouth, however, experienced a decline in home values in September, the second largest decrease in average home value, with Whangarei and Nelson also seeing drops. Wilson pointed out that there appears to be a shift in mindset in urban centres, even in Wellington, which has shown some momentum after significant declines since the downturn that began in late 2021. Record migration is contributing to increased demand. Competition in the market is pushing prices up, and the number of new property listings remains relatively steady. While there has been a clean-up of older housing stock that's been on the market for some time, the typical spring surge in listings hasn't materialised yet. Wilson suggests that such an uptick in residential property listings might occur after the election, if weather conditions permit it. Until then, ongoing uncertainty combined with economic challenges 
continues to affect the market. Property markets tend to be resilient and adapt to changes in government policies over time. While certain regulations or tax policies can affect property values, these effects are usually gradual and can be mitigated through sound investment strategies. If you'd like to learn more about the right ways to invest in property, join me in one of our upcoming free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing. As an experienced property investor and a licensed financial advisor, I'll be sharing valuable insights and expert tips to help you on your journey. Our free events cater to all levels of property investors and first-home buyers. I'll also tell you more about how we can help our clients to achieve their financial goals. So if you're interested in finding out more about what we do, visit propertyapprentice.co.nz today to secure your spot and register for one of our events. Alternatively, book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, through our website also. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Thanks for listening.